0: everyone and welcome to the learner's corner podcast today i am honored to be joined by michael bungay stanier to talk with him about his brand new book how to work with almost anyone and this is a conversation that i've been looking forward to uh for quite quite a long time and so i'm excited to bring it to you today now here on the learner's corner we want to create a place to where we can have and learn from anyone and from everyone we want to create a place uh, a safe place to engage in difficult conversations because there are just some conversations that are really difficult and and sometimes it's really difficult to to voice an opinion that you know that is going to be different differing sometimes it's really hard to confront somebody with something that you that you disagree with as well or maybe give them uh, feedback on, hey, maybe, maybe you could have said that a little bit differently. And that's why I'm really excited to be uh, talking with Michael today on the podcast. Now, if you're on this uh, journey of lifelong learning, please subscribe to my Substack to where I'm giving uh, just different recommendations for some of the things that I am currently reading and learning from or just some of the things that are really engaging uh, my imagination and my attention right now. Now, as I mentioned today, I'm talking with Michael Bungay-Stanier, so let me tell you a little bit about him, and then we will jump into the conversation. Michael Bungay-Stanier is best known for his book, The Coaching Habit, which is the best-selling book on coaching this century, and is considered a classic. His most recent book is How to Work with Almost Anyone. It shows how to create psychological safety by building the best possible relationship with key people at work. He founded box of crayons a learning and development company that has trained hundreds of thousands of managers to be more coach-like in organizations from microsoft to gucci he left australia about 30 years ago to be a Rhodes scholar at oxford university where his only significant achievement was falling in love with a canadian which is why he now lives in toronto having spent time in london and boston He recently won the coaching award from Thinkers 50, known as the Oscars of Management. And balancing these moments of success, he was banned from his high school graduation for, quote-unquote, the balloon incident. Was sued by one of his law school professors for defamation, and his first published piece of writing was a Harlequin romance-esque story involving a misdelivered letter and called the mail delivery And without any further wait, here is our conversation. Well, Michael, it is good to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today.
1: Yeah, I am very happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Caleb.
0: Yeah. And you know, just as we're getting started, one of um one of my favorite things to ask people about and, and which is such a big theme in all of your work is curiosity. Mm-hmm. And so I would just love to start with what are what are some of the things or some of the ideas or even people that just has your curiosity just engaged right now.
1: You no, know, I um I'm kind of nosy and I'm kind of eclectic. So part of what I think of as a keeping me curious beyond just the, the kind of regular practice of asking good questions is to keep seeking out different sources of wisdom. Mm-hmm. So above and beyond kind of assorted newsletters that I subscribe to on the internet. Um, I was just talking about somebody today. And I realized, you know, I've got four books on the go at the moment. One is called woohoo. You're awesome by Sandra Boynton. So it's a kid's book. But it's mm-hmm. it's fun and it's funny um one is called how project how big projects get done so it's a really big a uh, business book about you know what why is it when they build a bridge or a road it's always over budget over time not quite as good as we hoped mm-hmm. um so a really kind of insightful thing around how kind of big change happens um i'm reading this is make me sound fancy, but I'm reading the Iliad by the new translation by Emily Watson. So the classic story of the, you know, outside the walls of Troy. And I'm reading um, the latest of the murder bot series, which is a sci-fi book by Martha Wells. And so in there, you got some sort of snapshot of kind of (laughs) my messed up brain, which is like, I've got a kid's book. I've got a a classic work of fiction. I've got a business book um, and I've got some sci-fi and, Part of that is about keeping me out of a, a rut and into kind of a, a wide range of different things to keep me curious.
0: Mm. Talk to me a little bit more about, like even like the kids book, like talk to me a little bit more about that and like tell me yeah. more about like, what what got you interested in that?
1: Well, um, it's a tangled web because in part I'm interested because my wife trained as a librarian. In um, and, and particular, YA. So YA stands for young adults. So more kind of like you know, ten to twenty uh, age reading. But she and I have both been fans of this artist called Sandra Boynton, and she writes books for kids who are one to five. So I'm well. I mean, I'm not that mature, but I'm well beyond the one to five range. Um, and so part of the way I I think and I design and I teach and I write. Um, my one of my design mantras is what's the least I could teach that would be the most useful. That's why when you pick up one of my books, like the coaching habit or how to work with almost anyone, it's a short book. You know, you think to yourself, this is this could be a fast read. Mm -hmm. Um, and so part of what I really admire in a really good kids book is how tight it is. You know, they've only got 60 words. (laughs) So how are you going to successfully write a book when you've only got 60 words and you've only got 20 pages? That takes some talent. Mm
0: -hmm. And talk to me about the sci-fi.
1: Well, again, you know, I'm I'm married to somebody who is a a humongous reader and I wouldn't have guessed that I was a sci-fi person, but, um, I think my wife came across this, this book It's just a short little story really. And the idea is, um, this robot this uh, artificial intelligence um, somehow has something go oddly wrong in the wiring and it gets this personality, it becomes human. So you've got the uh, capabilities of, um, you know, an amazing robot AI thing, but you've got the personality of a slightly grumpy, slightly introverted, slightly, you know, (laughs) uh, what's the word misanthropic, uh, a personality, so some of, and, and you've got, it's all done through the kind of interior monologue of this character. And it is, it is funny and it is fabulous.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I guess I'd, I, I kind of want to keep going down like the rest of your books. I know. Book. We could I, just
1: talk about books the whole time.
0: I mean, we, we definitely could talk to me about, I, I can't remember what the business book's name was, but it was about large projects. And it oh, was. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: um, the the next book I start writing probably next year is going to be around how change happens, because there's a lot of stuff talked about and written about a lot of, a lot of noise. And I don't think there's very much signal. Um, you know, I'm trying to find who, what are the, what are the beacons of truth? what What's the really tested solid wisdom around how change happens, uh, particularly in an organization. That's kind of my, professional focus is how organizations and companies work. And so uh, I just stumbled across this book and went, Oh, it sounds interesting. And, you know, in the opening five pages, you learn an incredible statistic. Um, when you look at any projects that are more than a billion dollars in spend. So, you know, these are you know, building something or creating a road or, you know, whatever it might uh, putting in a railway track. Um, you know, these are really big expenditures. Um, 48% of them come in on budget. 8.5% of them come on on budget and time. And 0.5% of them come on on budget and on time and hitting all the goals that they set out to do. Less than 1% of projects where you're spending a billion dollars or more tick the budget and the time and the, and the prescribed goals that they were trying to achieve. That is, that's like 99.5% of projects don't hundred percent succeed. It's is incredible. Um, And so he really gets into both the systemic, you know, the bigger picture challenges and also the psychological, the individual challenges as well. Mm,
0: You got me really intrigued by that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I know check it's that good. It's a good, and
1: he's a good writer as well. So it's a, it's a good read.
0: You, you were talking about change earlier. Mm. What, and if, if I'm remembering correctly, I think at the end of How to Work with Anyone, like at the very, very, very end of the book, you talk about is it. I know it's hard to change, and is it easy change? That's is, right. Is those the two things? That, yeah. What, which was such a distinguishing thing for me thinking about that. Would you mind just kind of unpacking that idea a little
1: bit? I'm really glad you picked up on that. Yeah, Um, I actually first wrote about this in a previous book of mine called How to Begin. Um, And How to Begin is a book helping people, often kind of midlife, figure out what their next big thing is going to be. And um, in that I I get into this idea of hard change and easy change. And so often, change just all gets lumped in together. Oh, change is hard. And I remember, well, not all change is hard. I mean, we make changes all the time. I mean, Caleb, you, you figured out how to plug in a microphone and set up a camera and upload a recording and publish a podcast. And it was change. And you did some, you know, here's my guess. You probably went, okay, how do I do a podcast? And you Googled it and you looked at some YouTube and, some person was like, buy this microphone and get this lighting and use use Zoom or use Zencast. You know, you got a whole bunch of technical guidance and you're like, okay, and then you you set it up and you screwed up You know, one of the first five interviews because you didn't hit record or it's just bad recording or you just kind of sucked a bit as an interviewer. But then you're like, okay, I'm sucking as an interviewer. How do I get better at that? And you Mm -hmm. went on and you looked up good interviewing questions and you're like, okay. So it's really helpful if you start a question, say, "Talk to me about." So you're going to say, "I'm going to start asking questions," where I say, "Talk to me about," and so you've just gone through a process of learning. And and for me, this is what I would call easy change, where you're like, "I'm here. I need to get here." And the way I do it is, I learn a bit, I test it out, I get feedback, I learn a bit more, I test it out, I get feedback, and then I get to the level that I is good enough for me, some form of mastery. Mm-hmm. You you may be thinking to yourself, I've hit the plateau I'm comfortable with, like how I run a podcast and what I do, because I've, you know, I've now done. I mean, it's a lot, right? You've done like 300 plus episodes.
0: Yeah, I I think we'll be we're pretty close to 400 with this. Right, so you've
1: done 400 interviews now. So you're like, you know what? There's a whole bunch of things that don't freak me out about interviewing people anymore, because I've I've got 400 under my belt. Um, and you may be going, where I'm at is great. You may be going, I'm hungry to learn more. You may be going, look, yeah, who knows? But I think that's easy change.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Then there's hard change. And hard change is different from, uh, requires a different solution from learning some stuff and trying it out and practicing and getting feedback and continuing to learn. Hard change is when you do things like, you know, you're setting yourself a new year's resolution. I'm I'm going to exercise regularly. I say this every year on January the first Like this year, for sure, this year, I'm definitely going to start an exercise program and you know how to do it. You know, cause you've downloaded exercise routines before you've got seven uh, exercise apps on your phone. You've got a gym membership. You've done all of that, but something is going on cause you just don't get to doing it. Um, and so Whereas easy change is a little bit like downloading an app onto your phone. You're like, okay, I'm a bit smarter. I'm a bit better now. Hard change requires more of a, a new operating system you know, an upgrading your operating system. It's kind of you needing to say no to some element of who you are as present you and committing to some new version of who you are as future you. Easy change is tweaking present you. Hard change is leaving present you behind and stepping out towards a future you. Mm. And so hard change requires saying no to people and to expectations and to habits and to patterns. Things that have served you very well up to now, but now you're saying this needs to be different. Mm. So that's why it can be relatively easy to get a new phone and go, okay, I've gone from an iPhone nine to an iPhone 12. Yeah. It's taken me half a day to understand the differences, but I figured that out. And why things like I'm going to write a book and I've been saying, I'm going to write a book for the last 20 years. And I've never written a book seems to be so difficult. Easy change, hard change.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to hear more about like, what's helped you with the heart change?
1: Uh, Well, um, the process that helps me most is to first recognize that learning more information about the problem won't help me Mm. because that's the temptation. I'm like, I haven't written a book for 20 years. I keep saying, I want to write a book. You know what I need? I need to buy this new program on how to write a book. like, it's not that you already know how to write a book. It's not. It's not a lack of knowledge that is getting in my way. It's something else. Mm-hmm. It's actually a kind of what's getting in the way is somebody once said you have your foot on the accelerator, but you also have your foot on the brake. Mm-hmm. So you need to understand what, what foot do you have on the brake? So here's the process Caleb that I, I go through. I, I come up with a, a hard change challenge. I, I'm going to, let's go with, I'm, you know, I'm going to write a book Yeah. and then you go, all right, that's it, It that feels big, it feels important, it feels like it matters, I really wanna do it, I know I've got some history of not quite cracking this. And the first question I ask is, imagine I didn't do this. You know, I see it, I can taste it, but I'm gonna make a really clear decision just to say, no. Nah, I'm not gonna do this. What are the prizes and punishments of that choice? Prizes are, broadly speaking, you get to maintain the status quo. Nobody, nobody gets weirded out. You don't get weirded out. The punishment is you never get to do this thing that you can feel calling you. Then I look at the, the other choice, which is now imagine I was fully committed to doing this. Like if I was really up for it. And again, I go, what are the prizes and punishments of this commitment? Hmm. Well, the prize is I perhaps get a book written. But the punishment is... I have to say no to sleeping in. I have to say no to spending time with my spouse. Um, I have to put up with a whole bunch of my friends going, oh, you're writing a book, you always say that, you probably can't write a book. Who are you to write a book? You can barely even read, you know, you can barely even read, what makes you think you can write a book? So every choice you have has prizes and punishments. It's, It's making clearer the choices, It's also recognizing just how strong a grip the status quo has on you, the way things are right Mm -hmm. now. The other thing I do is once I commit to a project, I don't travel alone. You know, I get people around me to help me stay on the path and keep moving on the path.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, how, because this this is something that I'm trying to figure out right now. How do you balance between, like, especially in, like, heart changes, like the professional like ambition that you have with like your personal or relational commitments.
1: Yeah, that's a big question. Um, I'm not totally sure. Yeah. Um, here's a metaphor. Somebody once gave me and it might be helpful for you Yeah. just to say, most of us, imagine you're in the kitchen. Most of us have five pots. Most of us have three burners. So, make your choice as to what pots go on the burners or not. Mm-hmm. You know, when I look at my choices, I go, look, my relationship with my wife, I'm child free, happily child free. Mm-hmm. Um, but my relationship with my wife is, is one of the pots on the burners. Um, a big pot on the burner for me is my work. Cause I feel very fulfilled by it and very called yep. uh, by it. So I'm really committed to that. And then I'm like, you know, uh, is it fitness or is it health uh is it fitness or is it and health or is it friends mm-hmm. i'm like uh, you know, do i have four burners maybe i have two <laughs> small burners but i'm like there's just other things that i can't do so yeah. um i think you you make your choices mm-hmm. and you realize this is the kind of core coaching question if i'm saying yes to this what must i say no to Mm-hmm. or it to be a, an actual real choice
0: mm-hmm. and
1: what i think most of us learn is you know we can keep saying yes to stuff in theory all day long but until you start saying no your yeses don't really have any shape or any weight to them
0: mm-hmm. Well, thank you thank you for sharing that
1: metaphor but what what lands in that for you yeah. i mean what if anything is helpful
0: i mean i i i I st- it's probably the best thing to explain what I've been, fe- <laughs> what I've been feeling <laughs> of just the, yep, there's five pots, there's three burners, and you just have to make your choice. Right. And I think part of it is also just like affirmation of like, okay, that I think that summarized what my feelings were better, mm. and it confirmed what I was feeling. Right. Yeah.
1: Because there's a way you can beat yourself up you go, well, what's wrong with me that I can't balance all of this? I'm like, it's it's actually probably impossible
0: mm-hmm.
1: because if you're like, I've got a full-time job and actually I like it, so I'm doing it and I'm committed to it, it kind of lights me up. Um, and I'm in a relationship, an intimate relationship that really matters and I like it and it lights me up. Um, and I've got friends that I really care about and I know you know, my long-term happiness is dependent determined by friends. If you've got intimate relationship, a work that is consuming and friendship, that's, that's a lot of your time. (laughs) And, and so now you're like, okay, so then there's something that might be helpful also, which is like, so what then is a minimum standard for the other stuff? Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, maybe here's another metaphor. You're on a mixing desk and you're like, okay, I've got five, I've got five sliders Three of them I can move up to ten. Two of them I can only move up to four. Mm-hmm. I don't know how mixing desk works, but I've seen the photos, you know, yeah. where they're kind of like moving stuff around. And I'm like, you know, you just don't get to have all five of your things slid up to ten. Mm-hmm. So now you make the choice around which three are you really committed to and which ones do you operate at a minimum viable kind of level.
0: Mm-hmm. No, you just got me thinking. And I, yeah, yeah. you no. may go,
1: look, I, look, I'd love to be able to work out nine days a week <laughs> and be ripped and be healthy and stuff, but I can't because I'm choosing work, my wife and my friends first, but it doesn't mean I can just lie on a couch, you mm-hmm. know, in my underwear yeah. and eat ice cream the whole time. So I'm yeah. like, so my minimum, my minimum commitment to my health is whatever that might be.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I want to go back and ask about the Iliad as well, because oh, we didn't yeah. cover that. So talk to me about what got you interested in that.
1: Well, um, I uh, one of the formative books in my youth is um, a book called Ulysses by James Joyce. Uh, mm-hmm. He wrote it around the early 1900s um and it's this kind of masterpiece of modern literature um uh and it's the story of an irishman wandering around dublin over the course of a day over 15 different chapters and he has kind of 15 different adventures and um each one of the chapters corresponds in in really obscure ways to each one of the adventures uh, Ulysses has or, or Odysseus has when he's kind of the, from, from the odyssey, the famous Homer poem. So, you know um, Ulysses gets caught by a cyclops and held up in a cave and then manages to blind him by jabbing him in the eye with a, with a, a log that's on fire. And there's an episode like that. And then Ulysses is sailing all through the straits and the sirens is half monsters, half birds are singing to him and they're trying to lure the sailors onto the rocks and he blocks up his ears so he can't hear them and there's a chapter in them. So anyway, that's what kind of connected me to Homer in the first place. And in the last five years, um, a woman called Emily Watson has been translating these two epic poems and doing it in two ways that are interesting. One, doing it in a way that is more I guess you could say feminist, but Mm -hmm. it's really just less old school Mm -hmm. and also translating it in a way that is just much more modern and much more readable and much more kind of colloquial. It feels like a 21st century translation. Mm. So um, I was flying back from Australia recently and I'm like, it's a 24 hour flight. (laughs) Uh, And I can just stare at a screen the whole time, but it'd be good to have a really good book to read. And so, Mm I picked it up in the airport and have been reading it since.
0: Cool. I I would um you know, I want to ask one more question and then uh, you know, transition to the book a little bit. I'd love to hear what what are some of the thing and maybe this is a good transition to the book, I don't know. What what's like one or two things that you wish that people were more curious about or engaged in their curiosity or just even took the time to be a little bit more curious about.
1: Honestly, the the thing that's most foundational is to be curious about the person across the table from you. Mm Um, uh, you know, most of my work is around people in organizations. So it's, um, feels like kind of safer container. But in America, but also in the world in general, there's this polarization. And so now we tend to go, well, you're this color or that color.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: know who you are and I don't like you because of it. Um, and even though there's all this research that says we've got far more in common with each other than we do, that makes us different.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the ability to polarize feels increasingly extreme, you know, through social media, through just the way the world works these days. So I think the deepest, most human thing to be doing is go, how do I be curious about you, that mm-hmm. other that other person? Whether that is your neighbor, whether that is somebody who um, has a different loss, lawn sign than you do in terms of the politician that they support, um, or whether it's the person who's on your team. And that's, of course, what the book is written about, which is like mm-hmm. the people you work with, your key working relationships. Mm-hmm. But it's... Um, a curiosity about another person is a reminder of our humanity.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, you the book is framed around like five different questions to ask in working relationships. Mm-hmm. Um but before we get into some of those, I want to ask like, do you have like some favorite questions that you like you like to ask people in conversation?
1: Um yeah, I do. Um and it depends kind of what type of conversation it is. Mm-hmm um but I'm always trying to accelerate towards a more intimate mm-hmm. conversation rather than a more small talky one I mean I can mm-hmm. talk sport and weather <laughs> yeah um as well as the next person but um I've only got a certain amount of tolerance before that before I'm like like to go and find something more interesting to talk about yeah so um I'm a, I'm interested in questions like what's the crossroad you're currently at mm. like mm-hmm. that's just interesting because it takes me into a conversation about what's the big thing that you're trying to wrestle with and trying to make a decision on um sometimes i'll ask you know uh what's the burden it's finally time to put down you know that's a uh, oh man i've been carrying this for too long and now i'm interested in, in being free um sometimes it's as simple as you know what's what's the high point of the last week for you mm-hmm. um sometimes if I'm just trying to get kind of like the energy up, I'm like, tell me about the best meal you've ever had. Um, Cause you know, almost everybody can go to a place and go, Oh yeah, that was amazing. I'm like, well, what happened? Tell me the story. And then I'll this person. There's this context. There's this food. There's this wine. Um, and there's just this kind of, I'm I'm looking for ways of um, getting people to tell me who they are and, and what shaped them.
0: Mm-hmm. So as as we've mentioned a couple of times in this, you've written this book, how to talk with almost anybody, or how to work with, to work almost, work with any, almost anyone. It, yeah, yep. And anytime that I'm talking with somebody who has created a work of art, I love hearing the story behind it, if there is one. Yeah. And so I would be curious to hear was was there an event, a series of events that led you to almost like discover this problem, yeah. and and trigger this this need to write this book.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, so uh, on the one hand, um, for the last three or four years, I've thought of myself as a writer. Mm -hmm. It was a kind of a deliberate choice because I've, you know, I've started a couple of businesses and they're doing okay. I'm not actually a great business person, but, um, you know, I've got a training company that sells stuff to big companies and I've got another company that helps individuals flourish. Um, but you know, some people just go, look, I, I am an entrepreneur. I love it. I love starting businesses. I love running businesses. That's not me. Um, but I think I can claim this idea that I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. Now, that's different from being an author. I've been an author for a while. I've written eight or nine books. So an author is like, do you have a book published? And I'm like, I do. So I'm an author. But a writer is more of a, I'm trying to structure my life around writing as a central act you know involved reading and involved writing and reading and writing and so part of the this book comes from just the discipline of being a writer going well what's my next book i've finished this book what's my next book what's my best guess mm-hmm. what i want to write about and you know in general i'm trying to write about and make easier um kind of complicated human interaction stuff and kind of give people practical ways of of making that feel less weird and more doable for people. So, you know, the book I'm best known for is called The Coaching Habit. And, mm-hmm. you know, that sold a million some copies. Um, and that's about making coaching feel like anybody could do it. You don't have to be a coach. You don't have to have a training. You don't have to wear a caftan. You know, any normal person... And stay curious and ask some good questions um Mm -hmm. and this book is like a little bit around how do you make psychological safety feel doable Mm -hmm. um and so there are kind of two so the over the 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 conveyor belt is i'm a writer and what i do is i write books so what's the next book but you know this tool is one that i've been using and teaching for probably 25 years now so Mm -hmm. Part of me be going, well, what, what's the next thing I try and teach um, and write about? I'm like, well, this is a really good tool that I don't think anybody's really explained before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on a more kind of uh, immediate moment, uh, three years ago, my, my dad was uh, at home with my mom, but he was dying. He, knew he had a terminal disease. Mm-hmm. And I'd flown from Canada to Australia to live with them and to help them with that, that tough, tough time. And mum and dad were kind of sniping at each other for all the obvious reasons, you know, they're like, this is the most stressful thing. They know my dad is dying. Um, and I kind of seized up my confidence and my courage. And I suggested that the two of them have a conversation about how they wanted to be with each other in the remaining months or, or weeks of dad's life, because I didn't want mom's last memories of that time with dad to be contaminated by the kind of, slightly snipey feel that was was going on Mm -hmm. so they had this conversation which was effectively a keystone conversation which is the tool that i teach in the book and it made a difference you know Mm -hmm. it was helpful for them and Mm um i i started writing it but this is the thing that really helped me accelerate into writing this book which is like this is helpful this Mm -hmm. if i can do this with my mom and my dad and when one of them is dying then i think i can encourage other people to do that um, in the work in their working lives
0: mm-hmm. you know that that's one component as i was reading through the book that i was very intrigued about and it's and it's intriguing to hear about it for you is that it was a very it was a personal relationship mm. that that sparked this idea of working relationships yeah. in there and so i would just be curious to hear and you know, like talk to me about that dynamic of like the personal relationship versus the working relationship and how some of these conversations um yeah are just differ and are even similar in some aspects. Yeah.
1: Well, my my area of speciality is more working relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no doubt that, you know, when I read, wrote this new book, um, I read all of the the great writers around personal relationships. You know, Esther Perel and Terry Real and Dan Siegel and John Gottman. You know, these are all people who've studied intimate relationships and have written about them and explained them and given tools for them for many years. And I really absorbed myself into their work as you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants in that case. Um, And not everything that you learn about intimate relationships, you can bring into work relationships, but there's a pretty decent sized overlap on the, on the Venn diagram. You know, the, the key idea in the book, How to Work with Almost Anyone, is our working relationships are really significant in terms of our happiness and our success. But most of the time, we don't do much to shape them. What if you were more active? What if you actually went, I'm going to try and build the best possible relationship with me and another person with whom I work and who it matters and, um, you know, a, B- a BPR, best possible relationship is one mm-hmm. that is safe and vital, meaning alive and also repairable. And then the key idea for a BPR is, well, how you get there is you have a conversation about, look, how will we work together um, before you get into the work? The work is always going to be there and calling you and bugging you. But this is like slow down and talk to the other person. About, hey, let's just chat. What's it going to take for us to be at our best together, so that we can get this stuff done?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been incredibly helpful for me because in oh, in the role that I'm in right now, I'm having yeah. to do a lot of it, or I'm having I'm having to do interviews more yeah. for positions, and it's just really helped me think through of just how to almost set the table or like set the expectations for yeah. people going into the relationship, right. and instead of like hitting them on the back end.
1: I'm I think sorry. that's that's really smart you know um you know, people ask all the time you know can you can you only do this at the start of a working relationship and I'm like definitely not you can do it any time mm-hmm. like if you've been working with somebody for 10 years you can still say hey why don't we before we get into it again why don't we just take a moment and go how are we doing you know can we mm-hmm. you know what's your best these days let me tell you my best these days you know yeah how do we work the best together so that we take it to the next level? But if you're, you know, you're interviewing and you're hiring and you're starting working relationships, it's a perfect time to say, look, Mm -hmm. before we, before we screw it up, (laughs) let's have a conversation to see what it would take for us to play to our strengths and avoid the traps and the hiccups that might get in the way. Mm -hmm.
0: One of the questions, um, I, there's actually a quote that I, don't, I want to read associated with the question. And so I want to read the quote and then you know anything okay. that you want to add to the question, feel free to add. But it's the amplified question, which you mm. were just referring to. What's your best? And this yeah. quote really stood out to me from it. You said, or you say, or you write, the curse of competence traps you doing what you're good at, but not fulfilled by. I remember yeah. reading that and just going like, man, that's just like, that's just a, <laughs> it's a dagger when you read it and what i wanted to ask you about is what are some because sometimes it's really hard to get clarity about ourselves yeah and so what are some signs that that we might look for for trying to distinguish okay we're actually doing what we're best and what we're fulfilled at versus no i'm just good at this thing but i don't really like doing this thing
1: yeah yeah well um you're, you're already on the track um Uh, and that distinction feels like it's a really helpful one for people, which is like, you know, good at yes or no fulfilled by yes or no. And you said that you need a degree of self-awareness. And in fact, this book, it's kind of a business book, but it's really a self-help book wrapped around or wrapped inside a business book because each of the five questions of the keystone conversation has three exercises associated with it that you can kind Mm -hmm. of dig into to try and, figure out your answers and you know one of the exercises is this good at and fulfilled by exercise so imagine uh, a square with a cross in the middle So now you've got a, a two by two matrix and along the bottom you have good at plus or minus and along the up and down the uh, vertical axis you have fulfilled by plus or minus minus. and what you do is you look at how you spend your time maybe the top 10 or 15 things And you map them. You take your best guess about where they live. And if you're lucky, you throw a whole bunch of stuff into the, I am fulfilled by it and I'm good at it. Because if you can do that, it means that there's a really good fit between who you are and what your role is at the moment. Mm -hmm. This is whether you're working for yourself or working for a company or um, a homemaker or whatever it might be. It's like, how am I spending my time? Good at and fulfilled by Hopefully you have nothing in the box that is I'm not good at this and I'm not fulfilled by it because you you suck at it and it also sucks you dry. It's a terrible combination. Mm -hmm. But what's really interesting and is often the richest area with these these little exercises is in in the plus minus combinations. One plus minus combination is I am good at it, but not fulfilled by it. Mm -hmm. Caleb, why that is helpful is if you and I were working together, it's easy to look at me and go, Hey, Michael's good at X. I should just give that to him. Cause he's good at it. Why wouldn't I? But if I'd said to you, Caleb, look, I'm good at this, but honestly, I'm like, I'm a 55 year old man. I've been doing it for 45 years of my life. If I never do it again, that would be perfect. You know, I'm, not, I'm that not kind of done. Yeah, um, I'm happy to be a coach or a mentor or a safety net or a guide or a in an emergency call on me, but don't make that my main thing. That's a really helpful, uh, articulation. Mm -hmm. And likewise, what are you fulfilled by, but not yet good at? Normally we would hide that because we're not good at it. But, um, if we had that conversation, what I would be telling you is this is where I'm learning and this is where I'm growing. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the edge for me. So give me this, but give me supervision. You know, don't let me do this without a safety net, without some quality assurance, because I know I'm not yet good enough at it, but I really want to be doing this. So it just helps this more nuanced understanding about, well, who are you and here's me. How do we figure out how to work together?
0: Mm-hmm. You know, one of the other exercises that I would love to ask you about, and I
1: can't remember what
0: question it's tied to off the top of my head, but it's very it, the label itself and Claim Your Villain is such mm. an intriguing title and something that, again, it just, it seems like counterintuitive advice, but can you yeah. just talk a little bit about the idea cool. and how to go about doing that?
1: Yeah, so the fourth question of the five questions in the Keystone Conversation is called the bad date question. Mm-hmm. And the bad date question is, what can we learn from past frustrating relationships? Because We've all had them. We've all been part of them. And we've all been contributors to the dysfunction. You no, know, as nice as it would be to believe that, that, that other person was a hundred percent responsible for that bad relationship. You know, you've colluded and you've, you've com- contributed in some way to how that worked out. So um, normally if I say, Hey, Caleb, tell me about a terrible working relationship you've had in the past. You're like, "Ah." Oh, Let me tell you about them. They were a nightmare. They were a sociopath. They were nuts. You know, they were horrible. Um, And the temptation is to complain, tell me about all that other person. But I'm like, I'm not that interested in the other person. I'm interested in you. (laughs) Always your role in that dysfunction. And when you're in a tough relationship, you everybody acts out we play we we behave badly and um the claim your villain exercise is you going well who how do you show up badly how do you contribute to the dysfunction of a relationship and it is uh as people are probably thinking like that's a pretty intimate vulnerable thing to be sharing but holy cow it's powerful um And you know when I'm when I'm starting to work with people on my teams, I will sit down with them. I'll go, let me tell you exactly how I'm going to screw this relationship up, because I've just I've just done it enough times now that I know my patterns, Mm -hmm. and I don't I'm not I'm not deliberately trying to do this, and I've tried to make it happen less often, but it just keeps happening, so it will happen again.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So this is what I'll do, and by the way, when I do this. The best way to manage me and get around me, or through me, or over me, is to do this. So I'm able to give people really clear guidelines around how to manage my dysfunction, which they find really helpful, and I find really helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. Another question that I want to ask you about is, and actually, I think it's an exercise. Is you say that it's really important to ask what do we what what do people tend to get wrong about mm-hmm. you? Yeah. And I'd love to hear from your perspective what have you gained from asking that question of people? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I've said a few times in our conversation that part of what we're trying to do here is just get to see the other person. Mm-hmm. You know, we so quickly make stuff up. Like, you know, you and I connected, and like before you hit record, we were chatting we haven't met before mm-hmm. and you look at me and you go okay he's in Canada he's Australian he's wearing a black shirt with I don't know flowers or something up there that looks like he's got a tattoo yeah he's got tattoos <laughs> um he's got an ugly mustache uh he's got he's, he's written some books and you kind of have already made up a story about me
0: mm-hmm
1: and i've done the same to you i'm like Mm -hmm. okay so kind of he's like he's got he's he's got gingerish hair he's got a comic collection in the background um he he's got a kind of close crop i've just kind of made up a whole bunch of stuff at you and i'm like i think i i I know i know who he is yeah the truth is i have no idea who you are and you don't have that much idea about who i am
0: yeah
1: so part of asking that question is um uh trying not to take you for granted Mm. and what do people get wrong about you is a way of training people to not misinterpret what goes on because one of the things that will happen at a certain age is you will just start recognizing the ways that people repeatedly get you wrong Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and here's an example um when i am in thinking mode I get a pretty severe look on my face. It's like, an arresting resting grumpy face. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's, I'm actually not angry and I'm not annoyed. I'm just trying to figure stuff out. But even though I'm kind of normally pretty smiley and happy most of the time, when I'm thinking I'm like, I, think I inherited it from my mum. So thanks mum. Um, and it took it took quite a while before I kind of finally heard the feedback on this, which is like people are a bit scared at moments with me because they're like, oh, he's he's annoyed, he's upset, he's angry. I'm like, I'm I'm one of the least I'm honestly one of the least angry people you'll ever meet. I'm like, I just don't get angry. I just I'm not a rage-filled individual. But they're like, Yeah, but that look on your face, I'm like what look on my face? They're like, you know, the grumpy look. I'm like, what are you even talking about? And so it's me realizing that this is a pattern that I'm almost unaware of. Mm -hmm. So when I'm in that keystone conversation with somebody, I'll say, look, when I get a grumpy look on my face, it will almost certainly mean that I'm just trying to figure some stuff out and not that I'm angry. Mm -hmm. And that is really helpful for people to hear. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure if you and I were, Having this conversation, you, you you might have something of your own where you're like, oh, when I do this, it means this, not that.
0: Yeah, yep, yep. You know, the the other thing that I want to make sure that we touch on is the repair portion of mm. the relationship. Because just as you mentioned, it's great, you know, if you come in on the front end of these things and you're asking all of these questions. But even if that happens, at some point, someone's going to do something to, to put a break in the relationship or hinder the relationship. Yeah. Talk to me about one of the exercises that has, um, and I'll I'll just let you choose, which which one of the exercises has been helpful to you
1: in repairing? So the repair question, which is the fifth and final question in the Keystone conversation, is how will we fix it when things go wrong? Mm -hmm. And its power is threefold. One is it acknowledges that things will go wrong, just as you Mm -hmm. say. No relationship remains unscathed. Something, something happens in every working relationship. Secondly, you talk tactics around how you repair it. But thirdly, and I think maybe most powerfully, how will we fix it when things go wrong is a statement of shared commitment to fix it when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, we're all pretty bad at repairing relationships. We're like, maybe if I ignore it, it'll go away. Or maybe I'll just, you know, suffer the hurt. Or maybe I'll just withdraw a little bit and kind of like be less engaged because it's safer and better that way. Mm -hmm. So I find it helpful to understand that there are three ways that you might be able to fashion repair. The first is to be, if you've been hurt, to be brave enough to speak up about it. I was a bit disappointed. I got a bit hurt. I'm a bit sad that, this happened Mm -hmm. um too often something gets ripped and the person just suffers in silence and there's a way that in a in a kind of non-blaming or confronting way you can just go hey this happened and it made me feel this way the second is to be curious and check in with that other person to see if everything is okay And I find this very helpful because in most of the conversations I have around work, I'm likely to be the more senior person Mm because it's typically in one of the two companies I've started and because I'm the founder, I just carry more weight. And so people are more reluctant to be messy and vulnerable around me. Um, And that's just putting aside the fact that I also kind of, you know, represent the patriarchy you know i'm like a tall white man so i've got all that kind of status and privilege and stuff that comes from that um so one of the questions i ask regularly is what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said mm-hmm. um and in these working relationships i have people know that that's a invitation to bring out the stuff that feels hard or feel a little timid about or it's a little uncertain about but it's an opportunity for me to check in and make it easy for people to talk up about it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then the third and final thing for me around repair is uh, knowing how to say sorry. Well, and um, I think there are two points to make here. One is we've all, we all know those terrible apologies that aren't apologies at all. You know, I'm sorry, you're such a loser. That's not, that's not really an apology. That's just an accusation um but there's also a way it goes too far sometimes it's when you over apologize for stuff that you're not responsible for so a friend of mine gave me the 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 language you're responsible for your side of the table your behavior your actions for recognizing the impact of your actions and um how much of that is due to you for you deciding to go yeah i i do this occasionally i gotta do better making a commitment to that So knowing how to apologize well is really helpful as well.
0: Mm -hmm. One thing that I wanted to make sure to ask is, uh, is there anything that we haven't talked about or covered in the book that you want to make sure that we talk about?
1: Thank you. That's a good question. Um, I I would just say that, you know, the book's divided into three sections. The first section really gets into the five questions of the Keystone conversation and kind of Mm -hmm. gives you some tools to prepare your answers for it. The middle section really guides you through the logistics of having a keystone conversation because, you know, it's a bit rare and a bit powerful and a bit awkward. So there's lots of kind of scripts. i say this and don't say that to help you through that. Mm -hmm. And then the third section is about maintenance because a keystone conversation starts things, but doesn't complete them. It's like, how do you keep the relationship safe and vital and repairable? And the three principles I think about are adjust always. So you're constantly checking in and tweaking it. Um, Repair often. Keep finding opportunities to make sure that, you know, it's easier to put on a Band-Aid than it is to take somebody to the ICU. So keep putting on Band-Aids. And then uh, uh, adjust as required which Mm -hmm. sometimes means ending the relationship. It's like, this is broken and it needs to stop. Mm -hmm. Um, But this idea of have a keystone conversation, but then commit to maintenance. And then Caleb, I'd say probably as a final thing, um, Mm -hmm. just call this a call to action, people who are listening. Uh, You know, if this feels helpful, if it does, if you're kind of nodding along to, yeah, I should try and build the best possible relationship with my key working relationships. Then be the person who starts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, somebody said, uh, nobody wants to be the first person to say hello, but everybody loves to be greeted. So be the first person because there's everybody can find a reason not to do this. But if you become the person who goes, look, I really care about nurturing and building the best possible relationships. And That changes the way the world sees you and it changes the impact you have in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Michael, I know that people are going to want to keep up with you, you know, get the book, all that stuff. Where's the best place for people to go to do those things?
1: Yeah. So um, if you like this idea of this book, bestpossiblerelationship.com. Um, you know there are downloads there are the five questions you can download there's a video of me having a keystone conversation so there's a lot of rich free resource for people there um, and if you want to find out more about me and my other books my general website is mbs.works
0: awesome well michael thank you so much for being on the podcast today and just thank you for doing the work and for sharing it with us
1: uh, my pleasure thanks for a great conversation
0: So coming out of that conversation, there's really a couple of things that have really stuck with me. One, I loved just kind of our back and forth at the beginning of just learning and exploring what what he's reading and, and why that matters to him and some of the things that are really standing out. I actually uh, just recently got uh, one of the books that he recommended, which is How Big Things Get Done, and looking forward to reading that. Uh, sometime, uh, sometime this year. And the other thing is just realizing how important it is to set expectations up front as much as possible. And, and realizing that it's, it's a two way street as well. And, and, and I guess the thing that just keeps coming back to my mind is just this phrase of clarity is kindness setting up the expectations of hey this is what i expect you know what if if things don't work out or if or if one of us falls short this is how we're going to fix that hey this is how i operate at my best this is some of the things that i can sometimes annoy people with and just having those clarifying conversations at the beginning so That's some of the things that I'm thinking about from this conversation. If you want to keep up with me and some of the things that I'm currently learning about and learning from, please subscribe to my Substack, to where uh, you'll just get bunches of recommendations of some of the things that I'm learning from, whether it be books or movies or TV shows or just anything that is engaging my imagination and attention as well. And so with that, I think that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you to Michael for being on the podcast today and for the great conversation. Thank you to Sam Massey for creating the music for this podcast. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Kayla Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.